the verses we are going to be looking at now are Romans 3, at the end of verse 22 and then down to verse 24. Uh, there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Uh, we're working our way through verses in Romans which are vital for our understanding of what it is to be a Christian, to understand what God has done in Jesus to make us uh, acceptable to him. And because they're, they're full of meaning, we're taking them nice and slowly so that we can uh, really uh, allow their impact to, to get home uh, so that we can respond believingly to what uh, we are understanding. And there's some of the great words of the faith here, uh, words that aren't used in everyday conversation, but which are really important uh, to, to handle rightly in the Christian life. Uh, words like righteousness and justification and redemption, which we're going to be thinking of this evening. Uh, now, when, when you do uh, go down into a low gear and, and move through a book like this, sometimes it's uh, possible not to see the wood for the trees. And so you occasionally need to step back and just remind yourself what we are uh, looking at, to see the big picture again. Uh, when we began looking at Romans, uh, I mentioned to you that the big theme of Romans is righteousness. Uh, righteousness, a right standing with God. And the, the problem that we have is that we don't have a righteousness. Uh, we come under God's condemnation. And that is the, that's the emphasis on chapters 1 uh, into the first part of chapter 3. Uh, Paul has an indictment of the whole of humanity, whether pagan or, or moralistic pagan or religious Jew. We're all condemned in different ways. We lack righteousness. God has acted to provide us with that righteousness. And from verse 20 of this chapter, he's showing how God has done that. God provides what we lack, what we could never manufacture from our side. It has to come in from the outside. Uh, he gives us a righteousness, and we were thinking last time about the important truth that he doesn't, as it were, infuse the righteousness. Uh, he doesn't uh, impart it to us so that we could say of it, it is our own righteousness. Uh, he doesn't give us his spirit that we can become better people in order that we would then be acceptable to him. It is what we call an imputed righteousness. It's credited to us. And in chapter 4, he's going to demonstrate that truth uh, with the example of Abraham. That Abraham had a righteousness that was credited to him. And then uh, from chapters 5 to 8, Paul will show how uh, justification works out in the life of the Christian. The fruits of justification. And then in chapters 9 to 11, uh, his right, God's righteousness in relation to his ancient people, the Jews. And then from chapter 12 to 16, righteousness uh, lived out uh, in the church, the family, and the state. The theme of verses 22, the end of 22 to 24, uh, is this. 
are all need to be justified. There is one solution for all people. All have sinned, therefore all need justification. One way, and one way only, to be made right to inherit eternal life. That way is justification. So, as we go into these verses now, we're going to think, first of all, what is justification? What is the meaning of the, of the term? And then, why is we all need justification? And then, thirdly, why justification meets the needs of all? What is justification? Justification uh, is God's way of giving us that major thing that we lack, righteousness. And there are two aspects to it, two aspects to it. First of all, uh, it's dealing with our sin. It's providing us with forgiveness. It's, it's uh, wiping out uh, that great blemish in our lives caused by sin. And then secondly and positively, it is making up our lack. It's giving us positively a righteousness by providing us with Christ's righteousness. And both of, these, both of these aspects of justification are done by the obedience of Jesus. It's his obedience which grants us both of these. And again, uh, we think of Jesus' obedience uh, in two different ways. We think of his, his passive obedience and his active obedience. Okay. And simply, uh, Jesus' passive obedience is that he went to the cross and he suffered. Well, in fact, he suffered all through his life. But his sufferings were a price, a penalty paid for our sin. So he suffered. But he also uh, provided a justification by his active obedience. Not only did Jesus suffer, but he lived a perfect life. A life that, that we're called to live but can't live. And by that active obedience, he has secured a new status for us before God. Listen to how the Shorter Catechism puts it. What is justification? <laughs> justification is an act of God's free grace in which he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight for the sake of the righteousness of Christ alone, which is credited to us and received by faith alone. See the two aspects here, he pardons our sins by his uh, passive obedience, and he credits us with his righteousness. Now, one way of thinking of this in a kind of uh, graphic, dramatic way is uh, following on from what Martin Luther once said about uh, the blessed exchange. Luther once said that on the cross uh, there is a, a blessed, blessed exchange taking place when Jesus was dying in the place of his people on the cross. So, I want you to think, uh, and to kind of dramatize this, I want you to think of this book as, as a record. This book is to be thought of as a record of sin, right? It's a record of my sin, in fact. So in this, we have all of the things uh, that I've done which have contravened God's holy law, sinful thoughts and acts, uh, false motives, many things of which I'd be ashamed, recorded in that book. And then... Uh, that, that outstretched palm is, is my life, okay? And on the other hand, this outstretched palm representing uh, the life of the Lord Jesus. 
And God, uh, if we think of God looking down upon my life and upon Christ's life, uh, God looks down on my life and uh, he sees, what does he see? He sees the record of my sin. And because he is looking down on the record of my sin, there, there's a blockage in my friendship with God. It's come in the way of me having a, a communion, a relationship with God. Uh, on the other hand, what, 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 does, what blocks the way between Jesus and his Father? Nothing. Jesus lived a sinless life. There was never anything that clouded his relationship with his father. Everything that he did, every thought that he had, all his motives were God-honoring. And so he lived this life of perfect communion with the father. But Luther says on the cross, uh, an exchange took place. A blessed exchange. And my sin, and not only my sin, but the sin of all God's people, all his elect, laid upon Jesus and in that exchange we have something of an understanding of what's going on when Jesus cries out from the cross my God my God why have you forsaken me the father looks down and and Jesus is obscured from view the son is covered by the sin of the people for whom he came but now on my side what does God see when he looks down? God sees instead the righteousness of Jesus. That has been exchanged for my sin. And now there's nothing blocking a relationship between myself and a holy God. He took my sin that I might have a relationship with the Father that Jesus himself enjoyed in life. The blessed exchange. Now, it's important that when we are thinking about justification, we always remember that it is a status that God gives us. Uh, when somebody is justified by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have a change in their status before God. It's a legal declaration. So morally, in a sense, they, they, they remain the same. We, we remain sinners, although we're justified we have a new status, we remain sinners. One of the privileges of being a minister, and there are one or two, uh, one of the privileges that you have is that uh, you, have, you have a moment when you actually declare a status. You actually declare that there's been a status in people. And that moment takes place in a, in a wedding. Uh, you have two people standing before you uh, in a wedding ceremony, and there comes that high point in the wedding ceremony when the minister gets to say, I now declare you husband and wife. A change of status has taken place. Now, they were singles before and now we have a married couple. We have a husband and a wife. But their personalities haven't changed. We have the same individuals uh, after the declaration as before. That's what's going on in justification. God is declaring that we have a new status through Jesus Christ, his son. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but now brought into his family, adopted with a new status of righteous. 
That's what, what justification uh, is about. But Paul is, is driving home here the fact that all of us, all of us needs to be justified. Now, the great temptation, and, and we say this often, is that we have by nature such a works-driven mentality that we temptation for us to say, well, don't really need that. Don't really need that. I don't need God to rescue me. Uh, I try to live a good life, and and surely that's enough. God surely can't ask for more than my sincere best. That's what people tend to think. Somebody on the, the Christianity Explorer Away Day uh, was sharing uh, with us that uh, when, when she was at school and about to sit an exam, her, her father, who must have been a, you know, a nice guy, would say to her, don't worry, so long as you do your best, that's all that matters. I don't care what, what kind of uh, marks you get, all that matters is that you do your best. Now that is, that's, a, that's a nice, a kind fatherly thing to say. We would all approve of that. But the danger is that we think that God thinks that way regarding us. And that God wouldn't ask any more of us than that we do our best. And that's not the truth. It's a misleading idea to think that doing our level best will, on the day of judgment, satisfy a holy God. And that's why we have verse 23 inserted at this point here all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and it might strike you as puzzling that this verse is here and not earlier because in some ways it seems to belong better to the earlier section which is talking about sin after all uh, in all these verses that Paul Amasses from the Old Testament, from Isaiah and Psalms, that's the point that he's making, that we're all sinners, sinful. Uh, so it seems now that he's talking about salvation, it's out of place. Actually, no. Uh, Paul's point is that we all need justification because we're all in the same boat. There's not some of us who will get into heaven by doing our level best and being sincere. Just all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and therefore all must be justified. Lest any of us think we're exempted from needing to be justified by God. We've got this verse here, this very justly famous verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a, a shot fired across our bow warning us, lest we think that our sincere best means that we don't need to be justified. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The nature of our sin means that our only way of escape is to have a justification from God. God giving us his righteousness. You see, the standard that we are measured against is not a human standard. It's not a standard of, of trying hard, trying better than others. It's a divine standard. It's God's glory or the glory of his holiness 
against which we are found to have fallen short. It's God's standard that judges us. And God requires absolute conformity to his standard. In every sense, not just outwardly. He wants us inwardly, from the heart, to be his in every respect, uh, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, in our motives. And when the Lord Jesus comes to earth and when he expounds the law, he doesn't lower the bar, he raises the bar. He points to the inwardness of the law. And of course, that condemns us. And the problem is that holiness is absolute. Falling short of the glory of God doesn't mean that, wow, we've got a pretty good mark, but ah, we just missed it. You know, 85%, nearly there. It doesn't mean that at all. Uh, it's like clean water and polluted water, you know? Uh, to pollute water, you don't need to keep adding some pollutant like mercury until over 50% of the volume is contaminated. One tiny, microscopic amount renders the whole volume polluted. It's either clean or it's not clean. Yeah? And it's the same with holiness. Uh, God's standard, it's not on a spectrum, okay? A wee bit holy and very holy. We're either holy or we're not. It's like the way that, you know, it's like computer language, binary language that works either on or off. We are either holy and justified and accepted, righteous before God, or we are not. We're not justified, we're unrighteous, we're under condemnation before God. Now, there's an interesting connection with the, the word that's translated here, fall short of. Uh, one, one other usage of the word can actually mean uh, to be late for. Now, this is quite interesting. When I, when I discovered that, first of all, I found that kind of perplexing. It didn't seem to fit exactly with the, the picture here of falling short of something. But I see the sense of it now, because if you are late for something, then it's an all-or-nothing situation, isn't it? Or it can be, at least. When we, when we lived as a family in Lewis, uh, there was one occasion when we were going home to Sky for the summer holidays, and we had got all packed up, and the car was groaning with all of our luggage, and we made the, the journey down to, to Tarbert to get the ferry across to, to Skye. And uh, with great anticipation, a few weeks to wind down and so on, we got into Tarbert and drove down uh, to the pier to meet with a sign that said, uh, very quiet, next ferry, 9 a.m. Tuesday. <laughs> we had read the winter timetable and we had fallen short of the ferry. We had missed the ferry. We had been late for the ferry. Now, do you see the point of what Paul is saying here? It doesn't make any difference that we were five minutes late or a day late for that ferry. That ferry had gone and he wasn't coming back, especially for the MacDonald family. We had fallen short. Paul's saying that's what is true of all of us. Outside the grace of God, we fall short. 
or we miss the point. Terrible to, to be asked to give a talk at school, you know, about a book and to give a long and uh, what seems to yourself impressive talk about this book and to sit down and the teacher says, pretty crushing feeling to miss the point. That's what we've done in regard to the holiness of God. We didn't just get there. We missed the boat. We missed the point. We were nowhere near. Uh, one old commentator, Bishop Handley Moore, uh, he put it like this. I says, the harlot the liar, the murderer is short of God's glory, but so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you on the crest of an arc, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they are. That's why we all need justification. There is no difference for all fall short of the glory of God. The good news, though, as Paul says, is that God's justification is able to meet the needs of all. And it's able to meet the needs of all because of its nature, because it is free, and because it's of God's grace, and because it's through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Freely. We are justified freely. Not wonderful again struggle against that because we always want to give something it's a human instinct isn't it even when we're invited for a meal can i bring something we want to contribute at every stage in life but we are justified freely by god's grace and you can think of all the examples that we have in the bible which multiplied examples which make it clear that we never contribute anything to our being justified. The Ethiopian official who's met by Philip on his way home, he's reading the scriptures. Philip explains the scriptures. This is the Christ who is dying for others. By his wounds we are healed. He believes. Believing he's justified. And he steps with Philip and is baptized. No waiting. No sense in which justification has to be. And numerous other examples. The most powerful one, of course, is the, the, the dying thief beside the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there he is, and his companion heaps insults and jibes against Jesus. And he acknowledges that they are there dying justly for uh, their crimes. And he believes in Jesus. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And he never went to Christianity Explored. And he never took communion. And he never got baptized. He never witnessed to a neighbor. He was saved. Freely. Justified freely. And it's not our faith that saves us. It's not our faith that saves us. You're never asked to put your faith in faith. And people sometimes speak as though faith has some kind of 
power in itself. And they say, oh, it was a rough passage in our life, but my faith got me through. What on earth do they mean by that? Uh, there is not an ounce of, of saving power in faith itself. It's Jesus that saves us. Faith in Jesus. Faith is, what is it? Just a, an instrument, a, a, a something that connects us to, to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Free. Which is simply another way of saying it's all of grace. Uh, it's grace to the undeserved. God's riches given to us. Unearned. The goodness of God shown towards people who realize that they're bankrupts in God's sight. And so we, we have all of our own uh, firmly held ideas of our own goodness and our fitness before God uh, demolished, blasted uh, by the, the howitzers of, of Paul's uh, theology. We have no rights in ourselves before God. But more than that, we have to come to the point of believing that, that God is good and it is the goodness of, of God that is the basis of our coming and receiving his justification. God is good and, and is willing to save those who call on him in faith. And sometimes people find that so hard to believe. Why, why, would, why would God uh, look in me? Why would he save me? Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the, the Victorian uh, Baptist preacher, uh, told a story once about uh, a minister who had heard that a widow uh, in the district of the church had fallen upon very hard times and he uh, found out where she was where she was staying and it was in a, a very poor part of the town and uh, it was quite a, 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 a bother getting to her house eventually he found it walked up the, the rickety stairs to uh, her door at the top of the tenement and uh, knocked at the door and he'd come with a, a goodly sum of money to, to help to relieve her need and he stood there with the, the money in his hand, uh, rapping on the door. There was no response. Went away, uh, downcast that he hadn't been able to help the lady. Went all the way back to his own home. Some days later, uh, he met uh, this same widow, this widow lady, and told her that he had tried to, to make contact with her uh, the previous week. She asked, when did you call? And he told her the day and, and the hour. I was in, but I thought it was the rent collector. And so I didn't go to the door because I had no money to pay. So I just pretended I wasn't there. And people are, are often like that with God and his grace. They can't conceive that God would be coming to bestow his, his riches. They think always he's coming as the rent collector. <coughs> It's amazing, the grace of God. But we need to believe it. We have a great need. We've missed the boat. We've missed the point of the story. We're hopelessly lost. We need a great salvation. And God has provided us with grace to cover all our need. And he does that, Paul says, through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption in Paul's day was a term that was associated with the slave trade. 
Uh, so a, a slave very often would be somebody who had fallen hard times, became uh, in debt, and so he would give up his freedom and agree to work uh, off his debts by, by entering into someone's household as a slave, as a bond slave. But it was possible for uh, a benefactor to come and to redeem this person and to, to write off the debt, uh, to pay the, 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 all of the, the outstanding amounts so that he could go free. Go further back, go back into the Old Testament, back uh, into the, 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 the Deuteronomical law and the story of Ruth. And there's a principle there uh, of paying a redemption price in relation to land. Uh, the biblical principle was that land should remain within a family as much as possible rather than uh, being accumulated uh, by land barons. But if somebody got into debt and was forced to sell off their land, then it was the duty of a, a near relative to buy back the property. So we have Boaz entering in for, for Naomi and Ruth in the story. And the person was known as a kinsman redeemer. And if there was, in addition, no heir, uh, then, and, and there was a widow left, and this near relative had an obligation to, to marry the widow and to raise up heirs uh, that would carry on the name so that the land which had been lost was preserved and the name which was going to go into oblivion would be saved. So the basic idea is that redemption uh, has to do with purchasing a release from the consequences of debt. Someone's in a situation where they find themselves imprisoned by their circumstances and a benefactor comes along and pays a ransom price, pays a redemption, and they're liberated and their circumstances are changed for the better. They're released from bondage. Now, that's a hugely important idea in relation to uh, our justification in Christ because what it's telling us is that justification is free to us, but it's costly to God. God has to pay a price that we might be released. And that price was Jesus. Jesus paid the price of our freedom. He is the price that liberates us. Uh, it also speaks to us of our condition before we're justified. Our condition is that we don't have freedom. We're in slavery. We're in bondage. Uh, we don't think that we are, but slavery and sin in different ways keeps us hooked on a certain way of living, on a certain way of defying God, of living outside God's boundaries. And the drug addict will say in a pathetic manner, I can give up any time I want. And they really think that, but of course they can't because they're, they're trapped, enslaved to a habit. And we're trapped and enslaved to a sinful habit until the grace of God enters into our lives. And the power of sin is broken. And God gives us a new status so that we're no longer slaves, but we're free, men and women and young people. He frees us from our bondage. We become members of God's family with all the dignity, all the privilege that that entailed. Now, as we finish, there's really important consequences for us uh, in this whole uh, matter. 
of justification. Consequences if we're not Christians, consequences if we are Christians. If you're not a Christian tonight, if you're not, uh, if you're not sure that you are a Christian, it is so important to be absolutely sure. Whether you're very young or you're very old this evening, it's so important. It's important for this reason. Justification is, is, uh, is something that we either are or we are not. You either are 100% justified, right with God, going to heaven, saved, or you're 100% not. You're 100% guilty before God. 100% on the road to hell. 100% in danger. Now that says to me that it is really important to know tonight that you are right with God. None of us are promised tomorrow to make sure that we are right with God. So I would ask you if you're not sure that you are right with God to admit to him that you know that you need his grace that you can't save yourself but that you're trusting in Jesus to save you and he will and you'll be right with God 100% right with God I'd urge you to do that. And for all who are Christians, then we need to remember that this is a spur to our serving God. The fact that we've been bought, redeemed, that the cost of the blood of Jesus is a tremendous incentive. This is how Peter applies it all in his letter in chapter 1, verses 17 to 19. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. To know that our redemption was so costly is an enormous encouragement for us to serve Jesus with all our hearts. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you will drive home this gospel message to our hearts tonight. We pray, Lord, that if we have come to church tonight, not sure if we're saved or not, that you would help us to call upon the Lord. For you are speaking to us tonight. And give us peace in our hearts, knowing that we are 100% right with God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.